Welcome to the premiere episode of the Preserving Valor podcast. I'm your host, Jay Vissers. Preserving Valor is dedicated to preserving and sharing the personal stories of veterans. This week, we begin the story of Joseph Henrietti. Joe joined the Army Air Force in 1944 and flew 14 missions before the war ended. As the tail gunner in a B-24 Liberator, he safeguarded the Allies' bombing missions over Europe. I had the honor of interviewing him in 2020 at his home. I was born in Mohawk, Michigan, one block north of here, Union Street. I was born on June 9th, 1925, in our home. During that time, access to hospitals was limited, so women often relied on the assistance of birthing attendants and midwives for deliveries. My dad's name was Joseph also. My mother's name was Johanna. Joe had three brothers, two older, who also served in World War II, and one who was much younger. The draft board kept me out of high school or out of the service so I could finish my last senior year of high school. While Joe was working on his senior year of classes, another local man who had graduated two years earlier returned home on furlough. He had joined the Army Air Force and was a second lieutenant and a pilot. During his visit, he was tasked with encouraging senior students like Joe to sign up with the Air Force. So I and about four others, we signed up. And my mother wasn't too happy about that. She said to my father, he was called Joe. Joe, we got two boys in the damn army now. <laughs> Don't know where they are, if they're living or dead, and this fool wants to fly in one of those tin pens. And she held her head and walked out of the dining room. Joe's dad spoke with his mother, and his parents signed a document that permitted him to start testing for pilot training. We had to go down to Michigan Tech to take the test. Out of the five of us, I was the only one that had to go on from there. As the year progressed, the Army had Joe undergo additional tests at Truex Field in Madison, Wisconsin. Truex is now an Air National Guard base. Joe was provided with tickets and money for food and traveled by Greyhound bus to and from Wisconsin. He would leave on Friday night around 9 o'clock and stay through the weekend for different testing. Anyway, then I take that bus from Madison to Calumet. And I'd get into Calumet Monday morning and I'd go to high school again. This pattern continued for several weeks through the end of Joe's senior year. Shortly after he graduated, the head of the draft board, Elmer, caught up with him at the post office. And he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, Elmer picking up the mail. No, no, no. He said, you're enlisting in the Air Force. I said, yeah. Oh, no, no. He said, 
we won't get credit for that because we left you get out of the service we deferred you and now you're going to enlist into the Air Force and they won't get credit so we're going to see that you do not join the Air Force you're going to have to go into drafting Local draft boards administered draft registrations, exemptions, and draft calls. Essentially, they decided who went to the battlefield during World War II. About a week later, a letter arrived for Joe. It informed him that he and several others were scheduled to depart via Greyhound bus for Marquette, Michigan. There, they would undergo their Army physical examinations. You'd either come out of their 1A or 4F. 4F, you weren't eligible for the service ending. Joe was evaluated as 1A. And as I was going down the line, the next one said, go down to see that sergeant at the desk there. The sergeant, a large man with a stern demeanor, informed him that he'd be headed to the Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas. I said, when is that going to happen? He says, uh, this evening, you're going on the train to Fort Sheridan, Illinois. Illinois, they'll give you money and tickets to get into Shepherdsville, Texas. So I said, we're all going home. He said, Sonny, right now you take no out of your vocabulary. I'm always, yes, sir. I said, yes, sir. With that, Joe had been inducted into the U.S. Army Air Force. But he still needed to find a way to get word back to his family. Poland weren't that popular at that time. This is in 1944. So as I was going through the line, there was another contingent going from Calumet and my uncle happened to be into that one. I said, Uncle Joe, I said, when you get home, you go out to my mother and dad and tell them that I won't be coming home. Oh, he said, what are you going to do, Skip? I said, no, I said, I go to Shepherdfield, Texas. When he said, tell me, said, oh no, no, we're all going home. I said, see that big sergeant down there? Go tell him I'm not going there. He'll tell you something. Long story short, I went down to Shepherdfield, Texas. Joe had been a member of the ROTC while in high school and was exempted from some of the basic training that others required. He was sped into the Air Force ground study program with the ambition of becoming a pilot. However, he soon heard that it was likely no longer possible for him. It came out at a briefing that if any of you haven't completed two years of college, you might as well drop out right now because you'll never make it further down the line. Some of you that got two years of college won't make it, but we'll get you into good, a good position. They were going to, not only were, they did, put me into a control tower operator for the Air Force. Sent me to Scottfield, Illinois. There, Joe's first task was to learn the Morse code system. Morse code was the primary form of radio communication between military units when a teletype machine was too heavy or too risky. Pretty soon I get a letter saying if 
if you want to fly, you can still fly, but as we need tail gunners on B-24. So I thought, well, I'll sign up for that too. <laughs> Joe did most of his traveling solo. He would be provided with tickets and money for food on the train. The new program had him sent to Tyndall Field in Panama City, Florida, and he started training as the tail gunner on a B-24 Liberator. After a short time there, he was sent to California, where he was placed on his first crew and started in-flight training. Pilot was a mutt. And I hate to say it, uh, about a third mission as a crew, maybe the fourth, we agreed that our pilot wasn't too good. In the meantime, when we'd go to a brief and there was an old pilot there, well, he's only happened to be 10 years older than me, let's put it that way. Should they know that? Well, you're not 10 years old. But at those days, his, his jack, leather jacket was scarred up. Ours were brand new and they smelled for leather, new leather. And as uh, things were going on, we'd say, boy, I wish we had him for a pilot because he'd clue others in when they had the briefing of what to do with a B-24. The Army Air Force had B-24s especially fitted for training. And instead of dropping bombs, we'd, we'd, he'd have to take a picture when he pressed the button and they would show him where he bombed. Then we had P-51s coming in, pursuit planes flying like the Germans or Japanese would be flying at us. Instead of the guns operating, they put cameras there so they'd be firing at the plane coming at you. Both the gunners and the fighter pilots would be scored based on what their cameras captured. They would stay in the air and reload the cameras with film if they ran out. As they descended, nearing the base, the trainers notified the pilot of the need to perform touch-and-go landings, touching down briefly, then taking off again swiftly. Despite a crosswind, they went ahead with the exercise as others seemed to manage it all right. And so, their pilot followed suit. The pilot told me, you can get out of your turret now. And uh, we couldn't ride the turret down. But when it came time for me to get out, I couldn't open my doors. And I, sir, I said, I can't open my doors. What's the matter? I said, they just won't open. He told the crew for this. I don't know if he remembers. He was on the the uh, system or not, but, well, what kind of a tail tour gunner do we have? He can't even get out of his turret. Against his better judgment, Joe shot a retort back at the pilot about the quality of his skills. That didn't fit too good with him. He started to stutter. Long story short, I was in my turret. I couldn't get out of it. He said, well, you're going to have to land in the turret, which I didn't bother me. I think about the third or fourth landing, uh, all hell broke loose. It happened in second. Uh, we landed, crashed on the ground. And uh, by that time, everything goes. The telephone 
communications in the plane and I'm sitting in that turret and I can smell smoke, acrid smoke. And it happened that we landed into the, the runway crossed. So they had to get us off of there as quick as they could. So I kept hollering that I was in that tail tour. And uh, nothing was happening. Thinking quickly, Joe grabbed one of the cranks used to turn the turret manually if the plane lost power, and he started beating out SOS in Morse code on the side of the turret as hard as he could. Somebody on the ground heard that new warning. They hoisted a person up and he looks into my turret and I see this person or the whole boy. Joe was freed from the plane and brought to the hospital, where he checked out okay. He was wearing heavy sheepskin flying suit and held in place in the tight space of the tail gunner turret. You slide yourself in, feet first, and then close your doors and you're like a cocoon there. The 24 back of the Bombay would break off before anything else. And I was the only one in that back. Otherwise, there would have been a the ball torque, and I would be the only ones in the back there. It broke off there, and uh, uh, I was the only one that came out of it. Joe was brought in front of a full colonel for debriefing on the accident, with a captain appointed to represent him. And it came for me to answer the question from the colonel, what do you think happened that caused the accident? And I shouldn't have said it, but I said we had a dumbass pilot. He hit down on the desk with a big ashtray. The Air Force does not produce dumbass pilot. This meeting will be adjourned for 15 minutes. Captain, take him into the back room. The captain in the back room, he said, you see, the colonel wasn't too happy. I said, yeah. He said, can you change your story? I said, mean, not to tell the truth. Put a kind of blood name. I said, I could. Well, just say there was something wrong with the plane. I said, okay, I can see the left landing here. Collapse. Put us in a spin and that's how we... So that's how it went. The colonel ordered the captain to bring Joe to the base officer's quarters and keep him there unless he was accompanied. And he captain said, somebody's going to pick you up. I said, what? No, some, some crew's going to grab you pretty quick. Remember when I said the old pilot with the leather jacket? William P. Happ. Happ? The pilot with the well-worn leather jacket had been an instructor for four years and a professor in Iowa prior to getting into the service. He came in there and I was in the bunk or reading. They gave me a magazine to read a reading and he comes. I stood up to that attention. Henrietti, tail gunner. Yep, he said. I said, yes, we're looking for a good one. How good are you? I said, 
just as good as the rest, maybe better. He said, that's what I'm looking for. We'd like to have you on our crew. And I said, I'd like to be on your crew also. Immediately, they put me into the barrack with the rest of the crew. And that, the way it went. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Preserving Valor. If you're enjoying Joe's story, please consider subscribing and sharing Preserving Valor with your friends. Support from listeners like you is key to the continuation of our mission. Join us next time to continue with Joe and Rietti's story. And of course, a huge thank you to Joe and the veterans who served alongside of him.